Welcome to In the Envelope, a podcast from Backstage, the number one resource for actors and talent seekers. I am your host, Jack Smart, awards editor at Backstage, and I'm here to guide you through every aspect of the entertainment industry with the help of some of your favorite stars. These intimate, inspirational conversations with today's most award-worthy film, television, and theater artists provide you, dear listener, advice on how to live the creative life, personal stories of success and failure alike, and maybe, just maybe, a tantalizing glimpse in the envelope. It sounds so silly and it sounds so weird, but really I think so much of it is just getting out of your head and doing something mm-hmm. that feels so out of your comfort zone, which is what acting is in a lot of ways. Hello, 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 listeners. Uh, This is Jack with your now twice weekly uh, installment of In the Envelope, the actor's podcast from backstage. The voice you just heard is that of Zoe Deutsch, an actor who I've admired for quite a while and who I so enjoyed interviewing, as you will soon hear. Uh, She was a total delight. And it was a bit of a coincidence that this episode happens to be airing during our week of spotlighting health and wellness on Backstage.com. We're going to link in today's episode description to the Actors' Comprehensive Guide to Self-Care, which is basically like Mental Health 101. Uh, We have a couple of really interesting articles going up this week, including an interview with uh, Quentin Dunn, who is a therapist, about how mental health can help actors remain open in their performances and knowing their boundaries and what actionable steps you can take today to feel better tomorrow. We also have quite a bit of fitness content, so please check out Backstage.com for some of that. But um, it's maybe appropriate that Zoe is our guest today because she and I did open up about mental health. I mean, we kind of just checked in with each other a lot. This is a very conversational interview. This was a very all-over-the-place interview in the best way and covering everything from really tangible advice about acting and producing, her really fascinating-to-me nerdy actorly stuff process for prepping, including for auditions and such. We even, uh, right at the beginning of the interview, got into this very niche discussion we've never had on the podcast before about tattoos. Because tattoos, for actors, it's their own thing that maybe people would want to hear about. Zoe is also the star of Ryan Murphy's The Politician, which premieres on Netflix um, June 19th, the day after this episode is set to air. So... Without further ado, let's uh, take a quick break and then hear from Zoe Deutsch. Hey, are you ready? Yes, you, listener. Are you ready to take the advice and the inspiration you've heard here in today's interview and use it in your own acting career? Is it something maybe you've always considered doing? Are you at the very beginning of your acting career? Are you well into your acting career and you're a fan of this podcast and you're ready to take those next steps? Backstage is here for you. This podcast is brought to you by Backstage and what we are offering listeners to this podcast is a free 30-day trial. That's right. We are giving you 30 days completely free to try out Backstage. All you need to do is go to checkout, backstage.com slash subscribe, and enter the code ENVELOPE. That's right. If you enter the code ENVELOPE at checkout, E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E, that's how you spell ENVELOPE, 
you get 30 free days on Backstage.com. Browse our thousands of casting notices. Learn why it's the world's number one casting platform. If you are an actor and you haven't signed up yet for Backstage, I don't know what to tell you. Get on it. Hailing from a family of Hollywood filmmakers, actor-producer-activist Zoe Deutsch has turned her obsession with storytelling into a varied on-screen career, from the Disney Channel in young adult adaptations to Everybody Wants Some, Rebel in the Rye, Set It Up, and Zombieland Double Tap. She's produced films including The Year of Spectacular Men and this year's Buffaloed, and currently stars on Netflix's The Politician. Here is the wonderful Zoe Deutsch. Zoe Deutsch, hello. Hi, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Um, uh, the short answer is I'm good. How are you? <laughs> that sounded like a loaded I'm good. <laughs> As we were saying, new normals, new normals. Yeah, no, I'm I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm in my my childhood bedroom, which is interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's sort of so an that's added what... layer to the, to the new normal, maybe. I know it's true. It's true. I mean, you didn't ask me where I was. You asked how I was, but I also, right. I also am dot, dot, dot. Good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's about the best we can hope for these days. Um, I know I, I want to, cause I've sort of been asking, obviously this pot, we're backstages podcast. Uh, I will need to, I'm going to need to ask you about whether you have a relationship with backstage at some point, but yes. we usually, you know, we start about, we're, we're all about the acting advice, acting career life advice, but it seems like these days it's kind of like, I would love to hear about your experience with this crisis and um, what was interrupted for you? Like what were, what were you working on anything? Uh, what has changed? I definitely am familiar with the experience of not knowing what's coming next as you know, every other person that does freelance work, um, uh, can yes. relate to the actor's so, life. Right. Yeah. Or any, any artist or freelancer, um, totally. in any capacity. So that element of it actually has been kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's not that part of it isn't abnormal. Um, and I think people who are <laughs> used to going to an office and, and having a real job, <laughs> Um, it's a lot more of a, of a shift for them. So the uncertainty hasn't that, that element of it, I think hasn't been that, I don't know. I mean, but I will say I am struggling with the lack of structure like everybody else. Um, and I feel like sometimes some days I'm pushing myself to do things that I think will be helpful for me because they seem to be helpful for other people. Um, but what's helpful for me may not be helpful for you, may not be helpful for, sure. helpful for them. And it actually just causes, it just causes me more anxiety. So I'm trying to learn how to just be okay with taking the afternoon or, you know, telling myself that it's okay or that yeah. um, just because I haven't learned a new language or written six books or, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, just self, self-recorded a bunch of monologues to have in the, in the, uh, just for fun. Uh, yeah. No. Do a little Shakespeare. I mean, like all these things that I'm like, Oh, I have all this time and I should be doing this because other people are doing it. Mm. And, it, and it, you know, the shoulds. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. What about you? 
Well, I mean, I was just going to say, my, like, my friend was like, here, look, I learned how to juggle. And then like, he proceeded <laughs> to juggle. And I was just kind of, I think I had the similar thought of like, we, we're practicing self-kindness. And if, if we're not writing six books, as you say, that's okay. There's, it's more than okay. It's yeah. perfectly acceptable excuse these days. It's not even an excuse. Right. Part of a bigger, uh, bigger narrative of, of, yeah, avoiding the shoulds and the, the, we talk a lot on this podcast about compare and despair, mm-hmm. especially, you know, in the artistic life in the entertainment industry, the tendency is always to look at what somebody else has or what somebody else is accomplishing and then look at yourself and feel crummy about yourself in comparison, yeah. right? Pair other people's outsides to your insides, right? Yeah. <gasps> yes. Especially in the age of social media. Yeah, I know. It's it's very hard not to. I yeah. am totally guilty of it. Totally guilty right. of it. And trying not to beat yourself up about feeling guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Shame's, shame's, we're talking about a shame spiral here. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, there's... Because that's the thing about an unprecedented pandemic like this. It just, there's a lot of unforeseen effects, including things like shame and guilt. Yeah. And there are, are really no tools. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, we, we're all learning together in an odd way. I mean, how do you feel? It's kind of interesting. It's almost like the most connected I've felt to the world in mm. a it's like the most tragic, but also unifying global. Totally. It's almost like what I, what I wished, you know, what I wish climate change would have, would have had this effect on the world. Cause it, it, it should be the most right. unifying thing, but it ended up being this, but, um, do you know what I'm, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Totally. There's, it's very odd. There's definitely like, there's also the strange connection between the coronavirus crisis and climate change, which I think sort of remains to be seen what will come of that. But yeah, yeah, it, yeah. we're all just sitting around going, isn't this weird? And I do think it's helpful. <laughs> I think it's helpful to just talk, even if it is like kind of trying in vain to articulate how we're feeling, because that's always, I don't know, it makes you feel less alone, less isolated. I think so. I certainly yeah. do. And I and I am um, and there. Yeah, there is the flip side of what 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 social media has been good for and useful for yeah. is unifying. And then there's the other side we we're talking about, the image obsessed social media fueled hell. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> Do you feel, this is uh, maybe a big question, but as a public figure, as a, I hesitate to use the word celebrity, but do you feel, what is your relationship with social media like, especially now? Like, do you feel like you have, to, you have a pressure to post things that are making a difference or post positivity or express, like you said, like your outside, which may not necessarily reflect your inside? Do I feel pressure? No, no, I, I guess I, I guess I, oh, wow. Well, I must, if I'm hesitating to respond, you know, I'm, mm. I'm, I must, I must, since I'm trying to find the right answer here, but no. I, and yes, I guess not. I, <laughs> I want to use my voice in my platform. I feel like it's a, mm-hmm. your, it's your duty when you have um, an audience. And I don't think in any way your silence makes you safe, but I also recognize the, the privilege that I grew up in a time when, when that was, that was understood and, 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 and whereas my, even my, which is so, I mean, this is such a different thing, but my, I had this weird moment with my grandma when she asked mm-hmm. me why I talk about in interviews all the time that I'm Jewish. 
She was like, why would she was like, why would you do that? I changed my name. So people didn't know I was Jewish. And she was like, why do you talk about your political views? Why do you tell people, you know, what, you know, why are you doing these things? And it was such an interesting thing where I I was able to see my privilege, all the people that came before me that Mm. were brave where I don't need to be brave. I just have to, I just have to, you know, I just get to speak freely and how lucky am I? And, and I should, Mm. you know, I should, I should use my voice and um, speak up because my life is not at risk for doing so where it was for many other people before me, you know? Mm. Totally. Is that a, is that a good should? That's like a, that's not a societal pressure should. It's like a, it's organically coming from you and what you want. Yeah, that's right. That's a much more articulate, uh, (laughs) concise way of saying it. (laughs) I mean, it's a little armchair psychology of me to, I, good should is like a phrase that I've latched onto as like, you know, trying to identify what's coming from me and what's coming from like society expectations. (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that. Good should. (laughs) Should we go get that tattooed together? Uh, Completely. (laughs) Where would we get it tattooed? Ankle? Wrist? Yeah. All my tattoos are ankle down because I have like a really bad dad joke that I think that once like I have my full foot covered, it'll be a sock instead of a sleeve. (laughs) Yes. See, it's not... It doesn't induce like a full laugh. It's just sort of like, oh, that's not, you're not, you're not okay, Zoe. No, no, no. Have you had the, um, because you're an actor, do you, do you think about tattoos differently? Do you have yes, to? Yes, I, I, well, yeah. I, I don't have to, but I certainly do. And that's why they're all ankle down. And that's why you'll probably gotcha. notice I always am wearing socks when I'm not, when I'm like walking around the house. It's very rare that you'll see barefoot so I'm just like yeah yeah or even like yeah I um uh, they're all ankle down because I I I don't want to have to add any more time to sitting in the makeup chair right um or or even it's not even that it's not even all the time it's also the the panic the sheer panic on a either a producer or a makeup artist face when you tell them you have tattoos it's like I just I don't want to cause anyone anxiety because I think that they assume it's going to be some insane thing like I mean worst case scenario I remember I was doing this movie and when I was like 18 in London and I had like a scene with a guy and he had to take his shirt off we were making out or something and on the morning of the, the actor took me aside and he was like, uh, Zoe, can I talk to you? And I was like, yeah, what's up? I thought he was nervous about the scene. And I was like, sure, let's go sit down. No worries. And he was like, I, uh, I didn't tell anyone, but I have a, I have a really big tattoo. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what is it? And he was, I was like, I'm sure it's not that bad. And he showed me and it was literally his entire back and it was <gasps> his name, his name in oh bold, thick black letters on his back <laughs> like impossible to cover up, like actually looked like the most painful thing. And also just really humiliating that he was drunk and got his own name tattooed on his back. Um, (laughs) And from that moment on, I was like, you know what? Don't, don't, and don't just don't, it's not just don't. (laughs) Yeah. That's it. I mean, it's great advice. I've never, I've never asked this before because, but I do know from actor friends, it is a consideration if you are specifically an actor. Yeah. The other thing that was a a pro tip that I heard from somebody was that whenever, if you do want to get a bunch of tattoos or whatever, live your life, if you're a schmactor, um, (laughs) is to, is to make sure that you get release forms from the artists, the tattoo artists, because technically whatever, Whatever oh. tattoo is put on your body, the tattoo artist owns. Even if it's your drawing, even if it's, you know, a, a text, they own that art. So oh. you need to get a release form from them saying it's so because otherwise technically they could sue you. For it appearing in a film or TV show. Yeah, without paying them. Isn't that interesting? Wow. That is, I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. 
wow, we started with like the very, the most niche aspect of the, of the acting industry, but it's, it's exactly the kind of advice we welcome <laughs> on this podcast. I mean, I have no fucking advice. So if that's all I can bring to the table, I'll feel, I honestly genuinely feel good about that. Like I'm like, Oh good. wow. Okay. Yeah. No, the more specific, the better. It's great. Um, as a schmackter, I mean, we, we yeah. just love to ask, I'm definitely going to use that term from here on out as you are, you are a schmackter. You were a child schmackter. For sure. You know what? Well, here's the thing. You tell me, was I a child schmacker? Because <laughs> I was so, I was so eager. I, I, are you, do you have any siblings? Yes, I do. Are you a younger, older, middle? I am an older. I have two younger siblings. So I'm a younger and I was so, yes. I have younger sibling syndrome in a mage way where I was so eager oh. to grow up so quickly. Um, I see. That when I was 15, I thought I was so old. I started acting when I was 15. And I thought mm-hmm. I was so old that I never would have considered myself a child actor. But now, 10 years later, I'm 25. And gotcha. I think 15 is a child, right? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I don't, I yeah. don't really know. I, would ne- I thought if I was starting so late when I was 15. Interesting. Right. That was your professional debut? What had you done before then? I had just, well, I had been in classes since I was, mm-hmm. you know, very little. Um, I, I started in improv when I was probably like eight or so. I don't really know the oh, exact amazing. age. I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if it was seven or eight or nine or whatever, somewhere in there. But um, I had a great teacher who I loved. His name was Patrick Day. And um, I think the studio is called the Young Actor Space. It's here in L.A. And I oh, loved, yeah, yeah. yeah, I loved him so much. Um love him so much. And it was improv and I, and it helped me in so many different avenues in my life. But yeah, I didn't start professionally working right. or auditioning or whatever till I was 15. And was the improv kind of an aha moment? Like, oh, I genuinely like this path. Yeah. And I think there was there. Yes, absolutely. There were, there were so many different things that came together in that, in that class, in that part of my life, because mm-hmm. I always was everyone in my family, they're artistic. I was, I was very in touch with my artistic and creative side and, and very supported in that, in that way, which I feel very lucky, um, about mm-hmm. be it painting, be it acting, be it singing, be it, you know, dancing, whatever it was, I felt very supported, but oddly I was, I feel like one of the most important things about creativity is openness, right? You know, openness and positivity. And it came to this part of my life where I was so negative. I would just Mm. say no to things so that I could get a reaction from people, which is such a horrible, you know, like a, like a contrarian quality Mm. that was, is so not conducive for an artist's existence, you know, like that's Mm. the antithesis of what, what feeds the soul, like saying Mm. no shuts everything off. And I would, I think in hindsight, you know, if I'm trying to analyze why I did that, I think I did not like being treated like a kid. And I wanted, again, I wanted to be older and I wanted to have real conversations. Like I wanted to have stimulating conversations. And the only way I could get to that and said, if I would just say yes to things, people would be like, okay. But if I questioned things and I said, no, and why, you know, then people Hmm. would have to explain things to me and talk to me like a fellow adult almost. Right. Right. Which is a backwards way of arriving at just like wanting to be treated equally. But anyway, mm-hmm. what improv did for me, as simple as it, it sounds, is it, you know, it's all about yes and like, yeah, okay, yes. And right. how can I, how can I, you know, add more to this? And it totally clicked for me what I was, what kind of, what I was doing to my brain and my life and the people around me. Um, cool. 
Yeah. And that might, the improv training, that must inform, is it safe to say that informs your craft and your artistic process these days? Yeah, I think it's funny. I think people who, who work with me would be really, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a heavy prepper. Like I'm a, I do uh-huh. all my Alexander technique and I do, I break down. I have my, all my teachers, my five different people I go through, you know, and I go back to class every time, you know, you know, I'm very, I'm prep heavy and I love all of it. And then I really do think I, the improv stuff is the most useful of any, because <laughs> I Must go on be. set, yeah. I go on set with all this prep and all this, this work. And then I do let it all go. And then it's just, it all feeds each other. For sure. Gosh, I was going to ask about your training because I know you've done a lot of training pretty much your whole life. Is Alexander technique, I mean, that technique is so fascinating. Is that also just been, is that a tool in your arsenal? Yeah, I um, have an amazing teacher who I work with named Jean-Louis Rodrigue. I always joke, I'm like, of course, I can't just have an acting teacher named like Alex. It has to be like a French, <laughs> a really fancy French name, like uh, uh, Jean-Louis. Rodrigue. Like, I'm like, all right, so calm down. Okay, we know you're, you know, we get it. Actors are pretentious and he has to have a cool name. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, he he's amazing and he's a genius Alexander Technique teacher. And I work with him, uh, especially like I, I do like a, you know, an intensive with him before each each thing I work on for that character. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot about movement and spatial self-awareness, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, also a lot of animal work we work, we do. So, um, if you want to really get pretentious and uh, actory, um, (laughs) I do my best. I'm literally biting my nails because it sounds so, but I guess that's, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Yes. Well, like you said, they all bleed into each other and inform each job in different ways, right? Yes, absolutely. And I, I love, love, love animal work. I think it's, it's my favorite about improv. So I guess they're all my favorite and they all bleed into each other and la, 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 la. Don't listen to me. But, um, (laughs) I, uh, I love animal work because, and what this, what, uh, what Alexander Technique and Jean-Louis Rodrigue have brought into my life, um, because it allows me to base my characters not just off of people and experiences that I've had, which are limited. No matter how much I want to believe I, I lead a cultured, open life, I'm I'm in a bubble. I'm you know, so it, it opens your world up. Sure. Um, you know, if you're playing, I'm trying to think of examples. Like, okay, for the politician, I, mm-hmm. I we chose an octopus, an octopus with broken like kind of like a, like two broken tentacles almost. And you oh, know, she, cool. infinity is very much so a chameleon. She's a trickster animal needed to be able to change colors and shape and camouflage, disappear, quick, come back. You know, she's a predator and she can also appear as prey, like an octopus. She can literally be invisible if she needs to be what she does. Infinity does that, you know, she's a morpher, uh, uh, you know, and also even you can take it into other real more specific, not just kind of heady ideas and actually make it tangible. Like I was, I was playing, I think in, in a movie I did called flower. I played a pig. I did a pig and pigs have bad eyesight. Mm -hmm. So I took that, I took her having bad eyesight and kind of like squinting Mm -hmm. a lot. And, 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 you know, the element of like pigs being misunderstood and, and Mm kind of like they, everyone thinks that they're dirty, but they're actually just covering themselves in dirt to like get away from flies. It's like a smart survival technique. And, um, 
I don't know, like really weird. I think and set it up, I was a bird, which is why I always eating like small little snacks and like putting things in my mouth and like jumping and flittering about. And yes. you find you find little things and it just adds, you put it in your toolbox so that when you're on set and you're like, what the fuck do I do here? I have nothing. It saves you, even if it's just twice, even if it just saves you twice, two moments. It's so, it's everything to me. It's in those details. This is such nerdy insidery. This is exactly what I geek out about. Like, it's not just the, um, I'm fascinated by this idea of using an animal, not just for a physical trait, but like the perception around pigs also informs your character. That's wild. Yeah, I love it so much. It's so fun. Um, there's also another element of the work that I do with him is there's this book called The Book of Symbols. I don't know if you own it. Have you ever read that book before? No. It's awesome and I use that for every part every job every scene everything I do um I like to create like boards um not boards but like images and and colors and symbols Mm. and 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 it also helps me pick my animal this book because um if I'm thinking if I if I'm if I'm breaking down a character in a part and um like I did this movie buffaloed and I was breaking down the, the character and, um, and she's, you know, it's about a young girl who's obsessed with making enough money to get out of her like blue collar existence. She's got like a sharp mind and a sharp mouth and she's right really, she's, she's greedy. Um, and I was trying to find the animal and I, and I, you know, if you, you sort of piece together all these like broad stroke ideas about a, a person and then you go to this book and it kind of streamlines you can look through the animals and figure out which Ooh. one fits best and then you use that as a jumping off point to you know watch all the videos and do all the things and whatever but it also helps with like colors and symbols like i i obviously if i wanted for for buffalo a, a phone to be a symbol for her like an old phone because when she would grow up she'd always hear debt collectors calling her which is why she became upset obsessed with money so you know those images mm-hmm. and, and you look up what phone means in this book of symbol it basically breaks down what images and th- anyway i'm not explaining cool. well but it's brilliant and totally changed my life and i love that as well very cool and to be clear like you i mean you do all everything you just mentioned for every role but it's not like Alexander technique is the end all be all. It's not like you're walking into set going, I am a pig and I'm not no. thinking about anything else. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, no, to elements. be clear. No, to be clear, I don't even really think of I mean, really what what it yeah. is is I, I you know what also I think part the animal work is why I love the animal work is because I'm with John Louis in you know, the Odyssey Theater in LA and mm-hmm. uh we're, we chose one scene out of the movie or the show or whatever it is. And in mm-hmm. that scene, um, I'm a hundred percent dolphin. And he goes, okay, hundred percent dolphin. So I do the scene a hundred percent dolphin. I stopped doing that scene as a hundred percent dolphin. And I looked at him and I go, that was the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in my f-ing life. <laughs> and we laugh. And then when I go to set and I'm, you know, 0.01% dolphin, <laughs> sounds right. so stupid. there's no, I could never embarrass myself more than I did on that day in the Odyssey. So it's very freeing. You know, you, uh, you, okay. you, you've almost released the, the, the shame and the fear and the like, mm-hmm. oh, what if I fall and embarrass myself or do something stupid in the scene or forget a line or, 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 or am really bad or whatever, like nothing will be as embarrassing as you alone in a big theater or you with one other person in a big theater looking like absolutely insane playing mm-hmm. a dolphin. Like there's something <laughs> That's fascinating. so, yeah. so there's so much humility involved with like just <laughs> 
just because every time I do it, I don't want to. Like the second before I like stall, I'm like, oh, can I go to the bath? I have to pee or like, I have to, uh, can we talk about it a little more? And then the, it's just two minutes. And then I do it and I get it over with. And I'm like, oh, okay. Right. Obviously. And it, you don't really, I think I did Dolphin for, um, it was a little, it was a movie I did called Rebel in the Rye where I played Una O'Neill, Eugene O'Neill's um, daughter. And I like didn't use it at all, except for there was one line where I remember I like kind of like did like something very bubbly. And I thought of like bubbles <laughs> coming out of my head. And I was like, that was fun. Whoa. That's all it's for. It's all yeah. it's for. You know, I mean, it's it sounds so silly and it sounds so weird. But really, I think so much of it is just getting out of your head and doing something mm-hmm. that feels so out of your comfort zone, which is what acting is in a lot of ways. Getting out of your comfort sure, zone, totally. just going for it. Totally. And I've never heard that before, that part of part of the prep is kind of expunging all those negative fear, shame, all of that by by just really going there. It sort of allows you to then get to a more vulnerable, maybe organically creative place. I mean, like you mentioned, the improv is what kicks in after all that prep when you're on set in the moment, right? Totally, totally. Or different things kick in, of course. That's part of what training is supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) I guess you hope. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> right. Right. And so you overprepare. Is that true for auditions too? Do you do that level of preparation for auditions? I don't work with my teachers for auditions. No, okay. but I actually have gotten so much negative feedback in my life from oh. being too, too, too prepared for auditions. I have gotten oh. probably more times than not like, or I don't, I mean, I've, I've totally heard from my agents before. Like they felt like you were too, prepared and calculated to the point where I think the directors felt like I had my, vi- they were, they were concerned that I had my vision and that mm. my vision wouldn't be able to be molded to, you know, like, uh, so, and that hurts so bad because I don't like being punished for working hard. So I have to sort sure. of translate that into my mind as like, I love constructive criticism and I'm big. I always want my agents to tell me like, and I want them to tell me like, yeah, they hated you or yeah, they really didn't think you did. I want all that. I don't want the sugar coating. I want to know which casting director thinks that I can't do this or can't do that. Accent. I right. want to know so that I can get in there. And ha- but that kind of feedback really f-ks me up um, sure. when I, I hear, I've, I've, you know, it's too prepared. I'm like, what the heck does that mean? Yeah. I mean, it's better than not being prepared enough, I suppose. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what, how have, has your relationship with audition changed as you progress in your career? Is there, is it the same amount of auditions now as it was, uh, I don't know, a few years ago? Definitely a lot less, mm-hmm. a lot less, a lot less, which I'm, I, I don't, I love auditioning. I don't, I think it's the most, I, I say yes to almost every audition, even if I really think I want to do it or I'm right for it okay. because <laughs> because, which is not good, but I think because I, it's so important to exercise that muscle. Yeah. I think, you know, it's weird. Your job is to do something that you don't actually get to do that often unless you're, you know, you're, you're in class all the time or. That's right. Right. It is an opportunity, even if it's two minutes. Do you feel like you talk the, with the conversations you have with actors, you feel like they, they resent auditioning the more they go in they the longer careers the more they enjoy it or what's your what's your sort of feeling on Mm. it's definitely something we talk about a lot I mean I think for some actors they they, it's similar to you where like they really enjoy they really relish the opportunity to act and the stakes of the audition kind of help with with that but I mean others have certainly candidly admitted that they are better actors than they are auditioners and that there is a difference between the two 
I mean, it sounds like your difference is maybe, yeah, like not going the full rigmarole of working with teachers for an audition. Well, to be, uh, to be totally transparent, transparent, I can't, I mean, and I, I think this is a a popular, um, experience. I I can't afford to, I wouldn't be able to afford to work with all my teachers for every Hmm. audition. It would be so expensive. Um, Right. It's, it is expensive. I mean, but I, but when I'm working on a job, I, I look at that as an investment in, yeah, okay. you know, but, and I, and maybe, I don't know. I also, I'm not breaking down a whole script and character and, um, yeah. And you thing, maybe only but, have a, a scene anyway. Yeah. I mean, one thing I heard, I think my mom told me this once, which was really interesting and has always stuck with me. Who knows if it's true or how true it is or who it's true for, mm-hmm. but resonated with me certainly she said she felt like actors get especially early on in their careers they get the characters the jobs they get are characters that are similar to their default nervous position so if when i get nervous i get like really like sticky and like you know loud and trying to make you laugh and kind of like you know whatever those are the kind of parts that i'm going to get or like somebody mm. who gets shy and quiet and a little scared those are the parts they're going to get the people that get defensive and bitchy those are the parts they're going to get which i think is really interesting and true and mm. basically what that means is if you can try to figure out if you can really be honest with yourself and analyze what you do when you're nervous mm-hmm. you actually have the ability to and this is if you're in the room with people like i don't care what people say it's always nerve-wracking i don't care who you are what room you're right. in it's always scary to audition and you will, oh, there's always an element of, of nervousness. That's fascinating. Yeah. Cause, because it's a nerve wracking environment, the audition, and that's where they're seeing you in, in contention for the role. Yeah. And you, you are going to inform the character. Yeah. So. Yeah. True, true for me, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the other, it's funny that you mentioned the thing about like, you want to do auditions, even if you don't think you're right for the role, because I do like asking, and I definitely wanted to ask you, like, do you have a process for picking what you go after and kind of molding your career path? Because I just think the TV shows and movies that you appear in, it's it's been really cool to see where you go. And I'm, I, I'm curious to know how conscious that is. <laughs> because they're so f-ing weird. All the weird choices. I mean, oh, It's God. just a really wide range. And yeah, like, not just range of characters, like range of tones of projects, I think. Yeah, I mean... And if that's all an accident, then great. <laughs> no, but. here's what I'll say. I say, which is really... So my mom is an actress, mm-hmm. a wonderful actress. And she was a... She was. She started her career when, in the 80s. And she, at a certain point, I think, got pigeonholed mm. um, as a, kind of like an America's sweetheart. And I can see that and I can see where that happened. And so I think I tried to make a conscious effort to try Mm -hmm. to almost like build up an arsenal so that I couldn't get pigeonholed Mm -hmm. uh, because I know it was, you know, my mom eventually, you know, got out of it and went on to do like, you know, Broadway and do Sally Bowles and do all these. And, you know, Mm -hmm. now she directs a lot and she's, you know, had this amazing uh, versatile career. But I think it was hard for her to get out of that after a certain point. And I, it was almost like, I was like, I don't want that to happen. I want to 
do everything I can to not get pigeonholed and, and stuck mm-hmm. in this one little thing. So what if I build up a, a an arsenal of, okay, if, what if I'm funny? And then I'm, and then I can, and, and what if I'm serious? And what if I could do a period piece? And what if I could do an action movie? And what if I could do weird accents and then be a leading lady, but also be a, a character actor? What if I could, you know, what if I could sing? And then what if I could, what, you know, what if I could, Mm-hmm. stop people from thinking that I am just one thing because they really like to do that with young actresses. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, who knows if I'll be successful, but I just, I, I love my job so much. I want to, I want to do all the things mm-hmm. and I don't want to be stopped from doing all the things because I'm a, I'm an actress, you know, a young, mm-hmm. whatever actress. Uh, so that's sort of, I think informed certainly the kind of, parts that I've been attracted to mm-hmm. uh, and the different kind of zigzags I've taken the, sure. the not the not so maybe um, exception wise straightforward trajectory but mm-hmm. um, yeah that's that's the truth I guess that's excellent yeah well and I to sort of switch gears here although I think this is related I want to ask you about producing you've produced your spectacular men buffaloed recently how do you see that in relation to your role as an actor? Are they two completely different hats? Do you, I assume you love it. I assume you love the producing role. I do. I really do. Um, Buffalo was the second thing that I produced and, and I'm really, really proud of the outcome. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know that I would like it as much as I did. I, I It started because... I wanted to make a movie with my family. My sister wrote a, a movie called The Year of Spectacular Men, and uh, my mom wanted to direct it. And we wanted to kind of create jobs for ourselves that other people mm-hmm. weren't. And what I found from that process is that I love, I love being a part of every single detail of of, of having more information than not. It's again kind of I think stems from mm-hmm. it all stems from childhood and you know all that shit. But I I don't like being. I don't like feeling left out or like I'm, I'm missing information. Um, and so when you're on the producerial side, especially mm-hmm. if you're acting in it, you know, you're, you're going on set every day, knowing, even if it's bad, even if it's good, even if it's in between bad and good, you know, what's up like there, mm-hmm. there, you know, I don't want any secrets. I think it makes me personally a better performer right. again, when I'm in it to have that information than not. Uh, also one kind of interesting thing that I, you know, that I kind of, subsequent awesome thing <laughs> that came out uh-huh. of producing for Buffalo was, you know, when you're location scouting, you actually get an opportunity to be in the space. Right. So instead uh-huh. of as an actor, as an actor, you, you know, you get to, you get to set and you're supposed to do a scene in your kitchen and you've had five minutes in your kitchen, quote unquote kitchen, and you don't know where your forks and knives, are. you know, yeah. it's a nightmare as an actor. Cause you're like, this is bullshit. I call bullshit. I would know where all my shit is. It's my kitchen. You know, it like, you know, right. you know that you could be, you should, could close your eyes and know, and for me, at least I would know where everything is. So you get to be in the space, you get to understand what's going on and see things. And it can start to seep into your subconscious and your psyche sure. in a way that it wouldn't, if you weren't a part of all those details, Very you know, cool. you get to, you get to talk to every, I don't know. I, I love it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like that's part of the the prep, part of the, um, over-preparing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I just mean like, I guess it's like a thoroughness of like, I keep coming back to the Alexander technique and the improv and all of your other training tools. Like you're not going to feel grounded on set unless you've gone through that whole process and made sure that every, every tool in the arsenal is sharp. Is it safe to say? Yes. 
I do. And you know where I, and that I think comes from a feeling of inadequacy of feeling like it, I am not, I'm not just, I don't trust my, which is, I think a good thing in a weird way. Like I, I, I want to gain my self-worth out of something that is tangible, out of hard work, not out of Mm. something that is free floating in the air that no one understands, which is talent. It's like telling somebody that Mm. they're pretty instead of smart. Um, If you tell someone they're pretty, pretty, what the do they do with that? But if you tell someone they're smart, you know, they can, you know, actually it's more like, let me correct myself. It's more like telling, telling someone they're smart or telling them they work really hard. Like, you study right. so hard. If you're smart, what does that mean? But if you study really hard, mm-hmm. you know, you've done, you can, you can place self-worth in that because you have done it. Um, totally. like not being good enough is actually positive in some ways for me because <laughs> it forces me to want to work hard and enjoy working yeah. hard and, you know, gain self-worth out of that. I don't know. Totally. The, the value is more in the work ethic than it is. I guess it's sort of like, uh, rather than being results oriented, it's more like, um, journey rather than destination. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I love, I always say process, not outcome, which is like a mantra yeah. I give myself when I'm going into a spiral, especially about like, you know, if it, once you let go of a project, it's kind of, you know, you, you work so hard, you work so hard, you put your blood, sweat and tears into this human, this character, this thing. Mm-hmm. And then, on, and then on the last day you wrap and you got to let it all go and you got to completely relinquish control and, process not outcome is my like mantra when I'm starting to spiral about that because it really is doesn't matter if the movie or the show or the thing or the play whatever didn't turn out um Mm -hmm. the greatest thing of all time doesn't matter if someone hated it or loved it or this x y or z Mm. what matters is that is the process not the outcome to me Uh, from an actor standpoint from a producerial standpoint not so much (laughs) oh sure producerial (laughs) is about more results I suppose yeah yeah absolutely yeah 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 do you have any other um, mantras? I mean, if you're willing to share. One thing that I really love to tell myself, which genuinely helps me, is it's none of my business what other people think about me. Mm, yes. So hard, especially when you're literally asking what other people think about you. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> when you're auditioning and you want a part <laughs> and you're literally asking, what do you think about me? But really it, it's none of your business you yeah know? right it's not in your control yeah that's um, excellent advice that's excellent advice for actors or for people <laughs> yeah do you have any mantras <laughs> um one thing at a time is my go-to mantra i think it's the best yeah and recently it feels maybe more relevant to say one piece at a time that implies <laughs> a puzzle. <laughs> you know, a puzzle is often very sprawling and hard to uh, complete. And, but that sort of helps to think, well, I'm just working on this one part of the puzzle right now. Yeah. I'm not responsible for the entire thing. Maybe not yet. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Also, in this metaphor, the puzzle's like never completed, I think. <laughs> I know. No, you're right. It's true. Because again, like process, 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 process. It's so true. (laughs) And the more you learn and the more you do, the more you know you know nothing and that there's so much more to do. And all of everything we just said is also just a process. It's not like you learn these things and then you're done. Like you have to relearn them, I think. It's all easier said than done. For sure. This is great. I knew it would be. I knew this would be a great conversation. (laughs) And Zoe, it is. 
Um, <laughs> I want to ask you too, like you have a lot in the pipeline. I just, I, politician season one was so amazing. Was politician season two filmed? Um, was it interrupted? What's this, what's the deal? Oh, it's finished. I'm not sure when, I think okay. it's coming out pretty soon. It's, you know, similar to the first season. It's very satirical and biting and witty and mm. sharp and outrageous and soapy and lots of cultural critique. It's, and feels timely, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. It, 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 it's still about these people who have the ambition and intelligence of seasoned adult politicians and strategists. Um, gotcha. and yeah, definitely, cool. you know, what I loved about the first, what I really liked about the first season was that a lot of, you know, we're living in this, like we're talking about this image obsessed social media fueled world where we we're all expected mm-hmm. to have an Instagram perfect image. And I think the pressure that Ben Platt's character Peyton and his circle of peers felt to this idealized version of success resonated with audiences mm-hmm. and myself, especially yeah. young adults and that it was fun and juicy. And there was like love triangles and backstabbing, but also, um, mm-hmm. kind of real, uh, cultural critique as well. It is a great showcase for, as you're saying, cultural critique while also just being like, is there like a, I, I, I like asking about Ryan Murphy and his style. Do you think of, um, the acting style in a Ryan Murphy project as being something like a tone that you have to master? It's a good question. There really wasn't much. I, I think it's a lot in the editing and the post that mm-hmm. it starts to feel and a lot in how it's shot. And because it's not like there's a conversation of what that tone is. Um, mm-hmm. It just, you know, you see it and it works and it's consistent, but it, it certainly wasn't, there was no discussion on, on what that was. But again, the, outrageous and soapy and and Mm. witty sharpness comes from the text i think and like you said it's it's project by project you're bringing your arsenal to that to the text and uh what comes out of that is what comes out of that yeah 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 i mean with the politician it was interesting because i think in some ways it felt like me and jessica lang were were, we were shooting a different show than the Mm. rest of the the people and then it you know because i really only had a couple days with every i mean i only shot one day with the rest of the cast i think Mm -hmm. and then everything else was just with jessica lang and ben um Mm -hmm. and so it was interesting i was always nervous i mean jessica and i were always nervous that we were doing being too big or were we going to fit or did we make (laughs) sense or what was everyone else doing or i remember jessica on our the last day she hugged me goodbye and she said if i go down you go down (laughs) Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it made me, it, made me uh, it was the most glorious. <laughs> that was my most glorious moment with her until we went to go see um, a Broadway show together and it was pouring oh rain God. and we were, and we were skipping down out of the theater on Broadway. <laughs> and I, I thought to myself that this, this right here is peak actress porn. This is the, yes. this is, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> That's amazing. Can I ask also about, um, I know that everything's on hold right now, but you might work with Claire Scanlon and Glenn Powell on another project? Yeah, Glenn, Glenn Powell and I are going to make another movie with Katie Silberman, who wrote Set It Up. And she also, oh, with Katie. Um, okay. yeah, and she also wrote uh, uh, Booksmart. Amazing. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna do another movie with Netflix, which is super exciting, and it's actually written. So we're just we're waiting okay. for um for the go ahead. I'm very That's very exciting. excited. That's yes. very exciting. I loved set it up so much. You did? Um, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. It's the perfect. So rom-com. glad to hear that. Thank you. 
Um, can I ask you a series of, of very nerdy backstagey questions? We we wrap up podcast interviews with these with this not quite rapid fire, but series of questions for you to for you to ponder. Yes. Okay. First is easy. How did you get your SAG card? Ooh. Oh my gosh. Great. Or maybe question. not easy. <laughs> Wait, no, this is a good question. I think. Uh, well, my first job, I was, I had to, because I did a sitcom, mm-hmm. uh, called the sweet life of Zach and Cody that yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Gotcha. Good. Okay. What is one performance that every actor should see and why? Oh, I think Catherine <laughs> Hepburn and bringing up baby. Ooh. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just think it's so brilliant. And I, I, I don't, I'm a, I just think I'm obsessed with it. I, I just love it so much. I know that's not, you know, it's not like whatever. That's my answer. That's great. No, it's perfect. That's the best. Uh, you got to answer it from the gut. I think that and, and also, yeah, that. <laughs> okay. What about, we talked about auditions, but what do you have a worst audition horror story? hundred percent. And it happened <laughs> six months ago. Oh no. Yeah. It was the worst audition of my life. Um, so because I've now told you, you understand that I'm crazy. Mm-hmm prepper and I, I memorize things like, you know, I'm, I'm, I really don't go into those. I've never gone up on a line in a really serious way on an mm-hmm. audition. I've never like really, really, truly completely blanked in that way. This audition was for people that I really didn't want to f- up in front of. And I, it was a giant huh. monologue and I couldn't remember anything. Like I literally laid oh. down on the ground and started screaming and going, what is wrong with me? Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, really humiliating. And then afterwards, I got into my car. And also, one of my best friend's uh, dads was in the room, which was it made it even more mm. humiliating because I had to see him again. And I couldn't make mm-hmm. eye contact with him. It was just awful. And then uh, I got, I'll i never forget going into my car. And I just sat in my car in the heat of my plastic inside of my Prius car. And I just, it, I just, it was so hot and I refused to turn on the AC or move a muscle or move, go forward or back or anything or start the car. Cause I thought if I just stood still, maybe it wasn't real. Maybe it didn't happen. Like I just totally. stood there like literally for an hour, like not on my phone, not doing anything, just like stand still. And maybe it's not real. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah. Man, it was so recent. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it just goes to show it's, you mean your worst audition horror story could always just be around the corner. I oh, suppose. yes, certainly. <laughs> okay. And last question. What about, what is one piece of advice that you would give your younger self? Is there anything that you wish you'd known? Yeah. Well, a little tough love, but deal with it. It only gets harder. <laughs> It's tough. It's it's not the nicest thing, but I had so much anxiety about things that if I honestly, if I would have just known, because when I tell myself that now, when I'm freaking out about something and I think it's, you know, big or whatever, like I, I want so much out of my life. I want so much more. And if I let this stop me now, I can't have all those things that I want. So I just have to know, like the, if I want to go forward, if I want all those things, then I have to be able to deal with what I'm dealing with now. It only gets harder. So it, it, I know that sounds <laughs> like really tough reverse <laughs> psychology, not good advice, but it does help me to just be like, Zoe, get through it. You're going to be okay. Learn mm-hmm. how to deal with this. Um, 
I don't know. That's tough, but it's so I feel. That's great advice. No, it's the tough love we need on this podcast. I really think that's actually like kind of the perfect note to end on because (laughs) it sums it all up, man. This stuff is not easy. (laughs) No, it's not, but it's the best. And I, (laughs) yes, uh, we have, I don't know. I love my job. I feel really lucky every, every, every day that I get to do what I love genuinely. Um, yeah, that's great. Well, I really think that that, I really, truly, it sounds so cheesy, but I think that comes across in your work. And I think I'm like excited to see what, what you do next. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much. I, um, I love talking to you and I wish, I wish I was, um, I wish I was as smart or uh, well-read or articulate oh, as you. Please. I feel like I feel like I should just I should just like voice note over like five-minute-long things to you, and you can just respond to me like in one <laughs> sentence what I was actually trying to say in true writer form. No, 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 no. Because we're all about the kind of opening a window into like your inner your inner create certainly your creative process, and you really did shed light on that. So thank you. No, thank you. I think I know we're trying, you're trying to get me off, but I I was just thinking about, I learned (laughs) when I worked with, when I worked with Richard Linklater, I learned something really, really interesting, which is the mark of a really great writer is somebody who like you, who can listen for a really listen to someone ramble for a really long time. That's me. And then hear what they're actually Mm. simplify, be able to simplify really complicated things. That is the mark of like a really, you know, a writer's mind. And you, um, you definitely, (laughs) Cause he would do that. You know, he would, he would listen to people talk for 30 minutes and then you'd read the script and, and something that you said in 30 minutes was put into one sentence. And I would go, uh, wow, I don't have that skill at all, but you do. Anyway, that's that. Gosh. Well, I'm taking that to the bank, Zoe. Thank you. <laughs> Being compared to Richard Linklater is quite the way to end an interview. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for having me it's on. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for being, for being here, quote unquote, here. <laughs> and, uh, see you around, I suppose. See you around. Bye. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City and Soundbox LA, Mark Grau Studios, and Buzzies in Los Angeles. Thanks as always to our producer extraordinaire, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, Samantha Sherlock, Mark Stinson, Caitlin Watkins, and of course, Casey Howe. Visit Backstage.com, and don't forget, you can subscribe to Backstage by using the code ENVELOPE at checkout for a free trial. That's right, 100% free. For more exclusive content, join us on Facebook and Twitter at In The Envelope, and subscribe, share, and leave a comment. Would you like us to interview next? Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time for another glimpse in the envelope.